Hello and welcome to the Ramen Profitable Podcast. My name is Atish Mazumdar and I'm here with my co-pilot, the great and powerful Chris Scott. And this is the podcast about testing out your ideas, taking your first steps, and really overcoming those obstacles on the way to entrepreneurship. Enjoy. Let me ask you a question. Okay. Because this is, for those of you who, uh, who don't know, I come to Chris for all my like adult life questions <laughs> so, uh, so he can tell me how to be an adult. Um, so I have pretty good car insurance. Okay. Okay. And I have pretty good car insurance because some guy that I met at a bar uh, it owns his own state farm branch out here. So he was able to, quote unquote, hook me up. But in hooking me up, it's like he got me expensive insurance, but therefore he was able to put a pretty hefty discount on it. So like I'm at like one of the higher tiers of insurance that you can have. Like I have coverage on fucking everything. Right. But so so my insurance, my insurance is expensive, but the relative discounting that's applied, therefore, it's a good deal. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Okay, now a couple weeks back, not a couple weeks back, a couple months back, I went to go visit Sean Wilcox, our our mutual friend. I just uh, saw Sean Wilcox the other day. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Did he tell you about uh, how I uh, almost tore my own bumper off my car? (laughs) Uh, He didn't get a chance to tell me that story. He told me the story about how he backed into a tree or a bush and it went through his rear window. Oh, geez. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah, he's got some cosmic troubles of his own. So, you know, he, he probably doesn't need to. Um, uh, he doesn't need to, uh, you know, inform people on mine. But yeah, uh, so I I uh, like we went and got food or something like that. And I was parked at one of those um, parking spaces that have a cinder block thing in front. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Or not like a cinder block, but like that little block thing in front. Now, I don't know why the fuck they have those when there's only one parking space that doesn't face anything. Like, it, it's not like there were two cars parked in whatever. It faced the dirt. Like, there was nothing out there. So I don't know why the fuck they would have those in the first place when there's nothing. Like, it doesn't matter how far you put your nose of your car into, but whatever. So I guess I had overshot it a little bit. And now the bottom of my bumper rested, was kind of like popped up and rested on top of this fucking thing. Like the little cinder block thing. As I went to pull out, only on one side, the other side is still pretty significantly attached. It just, they're like these little bolt connectors that uh-huh. keep your bumper affixed to your car. Just snap a bunch of those out. So now it's all, it's all plastic. That's why, yeah, that's why yeah, it snapped off. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's all plastic. So it just like popped right off. So I have like this little corner of my bumper that then I just, because that was in Tucson, I had to get back up to Phoenix. I just shoved it back in and then didn't listen to music the whole way because I was so concerned that like my, it would be rubbing against my tire and then eventually my tire was just going to blow out or something. So that was months ago. Nothing ever happened. It's still, my bumper look is still like it's pushed in. So it's not coming into conflict with anything, but it definitely like, I need to get this fixed because if I like go over a speed bump or something like that, it's like you can, it like will maybe sometimes pop out or something like that. I just have to push it back in again, which reminded me that I have to do that. Right. So I have a comprehensive insurance. My deductible is 250 bucks. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, it's it, that's what I'm saying. It's like it's good coverage, right? But what I'm worried about is my rates just came down because three years ago I had a ticket. Three years ago, I got a ticket coming out of Mexico. Crossing the border. I remember. Yeah. So that finally got kind of written off my record, essentially, in September of 2020. So that just happened. My rates now for my new renewal, which just came up, are lower than what they were last time. So I'm going to renew my insurance. Keep it on the same. A... Because what I was reading is like, oh, well, you may not want to uh, file a claim if the cost is close to your deductible because you're gonna, your insurance rates are going to climb. So then you're going to be paying it off basically over a longer period of time and your rates are going to be higher as opposed to if you just eat the upfront cost of whatever the bumper repair is. Now, I don't know what the cost of the bumper repair is. Could be a little, could be a lot. Don't know. What would you do in my situation? Would you file an insurance? I mean, obviously, the first step is to go get the damage assessed and see how much it would cost to replace. Right. That's the first step. Yeah. But what would you do in my shoes? Because otherwise, it's like I have this insurance for nothing if I don't. You know, it's Use like, it. why, why do I have this high tier insurance if not for this very reason? Right. Why would you, in theory, have this? You would pay extra for this insurance when you can just go to the guy at the kiosk at the mall and get. a month car insurance. I would, uh, I don't know. I guess I would, I guess I would assess the entire car situation. Mm -hmm. So like you've had this car for a little bit of time, right? Like like two years, Uh, about two years. Yeah. About two years. And it's not, you know, a brand new car, but it's like, uh, you said 2013, I believe. Yes. It's a 2013, 2013. So it's, you know, a solid eight years old, I feel like anything under 10 years is worth uh, having someone else fix it. I feel like if anything it's over 10 under... years. Wait, wait, run that by me again. So like my car is a 2006 and some things have been going uh, awry with it lately. Like I had to get a new starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to do, I had to do a, a battery cable change for the terminal port, blah, 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 blah. Uh, a, uh, it's like, it's not the car is, like almost 20 years old now, why am I spending money to have a mechanic fix it when I could do it myself? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think your car is in the range of having someone else fix it because it's still, it's not a jalopy yet. You're yeah. It's, it's new enough and it, and it has like, it's, it's running really well still and all that kind of stuff that maybe, well, because also to that point, short of like zip tying, because basically there are these little, um, like, I don't know what you call them. There's these little connector pieces that uh-huh. then clip into the thing. That and that's what them. broke off. Yeah. And so it just like tore those essentially because it's plastic. So it's like I could just, you know, it'd be super cheap and super ghetto. I could just zip tie those pieces back together. <laughs> so if, if, it's, if it's something like that, I would Google Honda bumpers mm-hmm. and, and see what they have. I, I assume your car is a stock color. Oh yeah. So the color the color that's going to be available is probably going to be available online. Ten bucks says that little bumper piece is probably less than a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Those if if it's not like the bumper part that's bolted in, it's like the little cover piece that makes it look pretty. Yeah. There's no lights coming out of it. It's kind of just like the bumper part. Mm-hmm. It, it it all it is are those clips, those plastic. It's clips. it's just the clips, yeah. And so breaking off the clips and clipping on your new ones—that's what I would do. 
Because fi- filing a claim is not going to be one. It's just not fun. Yeah, it's it's not fun. I don't want to. I just got my rates lowered. And mind you, again, my insurance is still high just because it's like it's the the top of the top. Right. But it's like, I don't want it to go high again. I just got it down a little bit from from, you know, just being a good driver and not, I mean, you know, for the most part, <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, being a, being a safe driver and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, you know, uh, just like not filing any claims, not doing anything. And that has then allowed them to just like, Oh, the amount of time has passed since his ticket. He's obviously a safe driver. Down come the rates. It's like, I don't want to now do another thing. That's going to take another three years to, to clean off. You know what I mean? And it's, right. I get because I don't know if they would consider it like an accident. And if it's an then it's like an, an at fault accident. You know what I mean? Right. I, I don't know. I do think there's a little bit too much concern with filing claims with your insurance. Also, I think insurance is the worst thing ever. I understand the purpose behind it, but I think it's just a huge scam all the way around. Yeah. Yeah. But, agreed. Uh, but you hear people also not want to uh, replace their windshields, even though they have free windshield replacement every year with their their plans. It happens a lot here in. Arizona having your windshield, having windshield replacement included in your yeah, insurance yeah. plan, yeah, and yeah. so and a lot of people don't even want to claim that because they think their rates are going to go up. Yeah, well then, so now there's this whole industry in Arizona specifically. Specifically, there are glass repair shops here that tell you not to file, and if you just bring your car to them, they're going to refund you this much amount of money because I guess if they don't go through an insurance provider, they also somehow make some money off that. I don't understand windshields at all. Yeah. Do you see how this is all like, this is black market stuff. Like it's like, this is definitely a scam. I'm just too dumb to figure it out, but this is obviously a scam. Yeah. And then on top of that, even just buying a car from a car dealer, like how are cars different prices everywhere you go? And why are there secret secret deals then in the back office with the the branch manager? Yeah. uh, and loan officers and uh, cars, man. Where's <laughs> where are those hydro tubes? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I just want to be in the future, like in uh, in uh, Futurama, where you just like get into that thing and just whoop, just shoots you up and takes you around town through there. Like, that's I want to be in one of those. Forget a car. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So, uh, you know, to all you listeners who are like, why the fuck are we talking about Atisha's <laughs> car insurance? <laughs> this is basically uh, we we're. We're re-engaging on uh, the Entrepreneur's Toolkit Day 2 or Volume 2 or or whatever it is. Last week, uh, specifically, we were talking about... Oh, what were we talking about? Storytelling. Storytelling. We were talking about storytelling for sales and for pitching and all that kind of stuff. So this week, uh, you know... what better way to intro us into what were the next kind of item on the tool belt or item in the toolkit is what we're talking about. But Chris helping me through my insurance qualms is just one of the many things that he does for me. (laughs) Also like helping me get my keys out of my car. You know what? Come to think of it. A lot of my problems are car related. Yeah. You shouldn't have a car. (laughs) Yeah. You really shouldn't. Yeah. Obviously. Um, yeah, so so the point being is that uh you know, Chris has been running his own business for how long now? Ooh. When was the last uh, time you were an employee? Jeez. Uh 2013 probably. 
Holy hell. He's been his own boss for as long as my car has been around. <laughs> yeah. And I need a new bumper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, by the virtue of these years, essentially, of being his own boss, of being an entrepreneur, of owning his own business, he's he's kind of come up with a lot of, you know, not the most uh what what did we call these like not the most glamorous sort of like these aren't the things that you'll see people uh you know posting about on instagram or here's like the get rich quick schemes and all that kind of stuff but it's all the reliable tried and true kind of stuff like the the actual the nitty-gritty the granular the stuff that really moves the needle the boring boring stuff the boring stuff the boring stuff so uh you know, uh, we were going to take this episode to really take advantage of uh, Chris's experience and, and, you know, let us know, like, what are, what are the good habits, the good practices? What are the boring stuff that really keeps us, you know, in control of our lives? Because, for instance, right now we're in a pandemic where basically everyone's jobs are like, you know, Remote. are we going to have them tomorrow? Are we getting yeah. paid? How are we getting paid next? You know, whatever. And uh, it's really dialing, dialing in the boring stuff that, you know, probably keeps you afloat. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so much boring stuff. So, uh, so what kind of what kind of boring stuff are we talking about? What's the what's the stuff you've uh, got on your mind? Uh, very good question. I don't know. I don't know how to start about this. So I was thinking about this, and it's really hard to like narrow down what tools you need to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, I don't. I don't know what a good one to start with one to start on is okay well let me ask you a question because this has been a recent thing in my life do you keep a budget i do not keep a budget you do i am the worst at money but this is what i do do i just said do do uh i have a a booking system it's Mm -hmm. like uh it's like doing it's like a ledger. I have a ledger. Okay. And it's not really a budget, but it tracks invoices that have gone out and what have been paid. So I know that I don't have any money floating around out in the world f- to pay me. Mm-hmm. And another thing I do is I bundle all of my yearly expenses to this month. So my websites, my email service, my domains, my mm-hmm. You know, subscriptions, they all get paid in this month. So I don't have to worry about it for the rest of the year. Yeah. So I guess yeah, yeah. if I were to sit down and be like, these are my expensive expenses, I could totally figure out a budget, but I don't do a budget. I should do a budget. Well, so this is an interesting principle. Um, and I'm going to uh, talk because because this has been my recent fascination, by the way. So, uh, man, if you uh, if you need budget help, boy, do I got you. All right. So. A budget has really been my recent obsession. Why is that? The reason for this... uh, Do you say how sad? No. Why is that? (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, it is also a little sad, to be honest with you. Um, So the reason for this is basically because I set an arbitrary money goal for me myself this year, so through 2020, and I said, by December, I want to have X amount of dollars in my bank account. 
And Mm -hmm. then I finally do have X amount of dollars in my bank account. Like I did actually just before December. And originally most of this was uh, informed because of the wedding and the stuff that I had to pay for, for that. So I was like, okay, I need to have this much money by then. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we ended up pushing the wedding fucking again. So (laughs) it turns out I didn't need to have that money by this gate, but Hey, it was great that I have it. Right. So I know, so I just have like X amount of dollars in my bank account, but now it's sort of like, well, now what? Right? right? Because I still have to pay for the wedding, but now that's all the way back in September. And I know that I don't just like, I am bad about things that as soon as I start like spending a lot of money, then it's like, oh yeah, I can just do that. Right? So I'm bad about that. So I'm like, no, no, no. I want to hold position. I want to stay where I'm at. But it's sort of getting like the idea of like, okay, what do I want my money to do for me and stuff like that? So, mm-hmm. so that's kind of why I, I started investigating a budget and that brought me to this a book. budget book. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I should read that book. I, I, Cause I need a budget. Yeah. This book called you need a budget by Jesse, either Meacham or Meckham. I'm not sure. Cause I would, I would expect Meacham to have two E's. So I don't know. I don't know. He's, he's a Mormon. That's, but is this uh, is this like a personal budget or is this like a budget for your business? That's sort of the thing. It's a it can be it's the same principles can be used for both, right? Okay. Because ultimately, if you have bad budgeting ability in your personal life, there's no way you're going to be able to lock it down for your business. Or maybe I'm wrong. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't exactly know about that. But it's uh, the principles that they have in this book essentially are used for personal budgets for uh like married life budgets and for um and also for businesses because it's like it's really actually super simple so you don't have to consider too much about you know influx outflux like payroll tax all that kind of stuff like there is like you can build in those elements for yourself but it's really the 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 rules of it are what keep it sort of simple for you so um Are there any like tools recommended in this book or is it just make your own spreadsheet? Well, uh, they so this book is actually developed by a guy who did develop a tool. But what I will say is that he um, he says in the book that he's like, look, I obviously have my own tool. I developed it specifically for this purpose, but you can get the same results like when me and my wife started. We were just doing it on Excel so Uh you can do it on Excel. You totally don't need to get their tool. That said. Uh, so the so the uh, the book is called You Need a Budget. So the so Y N A B. So the tool is called YNAB, w- like Y N A B. The software is um, it has a thirty four day free trial, so you can see if you'd like it. Thirty four day. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. I was like, thirty day makes sense, or seven days makes sense. 34 days makes absolutely no fucking sense to me. I don't know why you would do it. Like what that extra, you know, four days. I think it's because they want you to experience what one month of budgeting has done. And then so they give you the four extra days that that way you see like, oh, look how locked in everything is from my past month. Um, uh, so, um, I, uh, I got YNAB. I got the budgeting, you know, software. And one the rule number 1 of this is give every dollar a job. And this is one of the things this is exactly kind of what I have a problem with, right? Because it's like I know I have x amount lump sum in my 
checking account. But, you know, okay, then rent happens and then, you know, some other bills happen and then I go out to eat a bunch of times and then this and then and now I have Y amount of dollars in my checking account. But what what happened in between those times? Oh, I don't fucking know. Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So this helps with that because it's like, okay, how many uh how many uh you know nights am I going to let myself eat out? What is you know, how much money am I gonna spend on that? Uh, like I set these terms, I already know what rent is. I already know what all this other stuff is. So I know how much money it's going to cost like right off the top now from looking at this instead of being like, oh, this much of my paycheck probably goes to rent or this much of my paycheck probably goes to something. Um, uh, now I know positively how much money I actually have remaining in my check after I've paid all my bills and like you. So this is what made me think about this is that uh, there's a different guy, this guy, Ramit Sethi, uh, an, an Indian guy, who wrote a book called I Will Teach You How to Be Rich. and um, or, or I Will Teach You to Be Rich, maybe not how to be rich. Superfluous words, who knows. Okay. Um, <laughs> and in it, one of the things he says is automate all your payments. Make them automatic. Make them come out of your bank account so that you can just, like, quote, unquote, set it and forget it. Because uh-huh. if you do that, then there's no longer, like, you can't, create like building excuses for yourself or saying like, Oh, I'll I, like choosing which bills you're going to pay now and which you'll pay later and stuff like that out of matters of convenience. Oh, if you yeah. automate them, if you automate them, then uh, basically there's, there's right at the top of the month, you're already square. All your obligations are good. And then the picture of what's left in your bank account is actually what is liquid spending assets for you. Right. So that's, that's why I do all my, I do all my bulk yearly fees up front. So that way throughout the year, I know how much I'm, I, I have or don't have in the bank to, and it's all kind of my money now. It's not, I don't owe this. I don't owe that, you know, right. I, right, I have my exactly. bills. I have, you know, all the stuff I need to pay for, but it's not business stuff that I need to worry about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's sort of the thing that has, you know, now I've only obviously been budgeting kind of like hard for about two months, but that's kind of the thing that's been helping me is that like, so what YNAB does is it plots it out for the next months, like your recurring kind of expenses, like, what are your uh, true expenses? Or what are your, you know, real immediate obligations, rent, food, water, uh, internet is, you know, pretty much a a required expense now, you know, and stuff like that. So it, it plots that all out. So it has, so it links up to your bank account. And so it just says, okay, well, here's the rest of your money. Now, uh, do you have a saving goal? Like, oh, I want to save this much money for it. Like I have something in there for, um, uh, I have something in there for the wedding payment. And what it made me realize is I currently, like the way I was thinking about my money was that like, oh, I have X amount of dollars that I, I know is pocketed away for the the last wedding payment that we owe. But what it made me realize by setting up the saving goal is that if I save, uh, I think it's like 600 bucks every month from now until when my wedding actually is or a month before it actually, because that's when the payments do, then I've made my payment. Like I don't, it doesn't come out of the money that I currently have. It's like I saved up to make my payment. So now all that money that I currently have can be freed up for other stuff. You, uh-huh. you see what I mean? So it's like, so then you end up intrinsically what it kind of forces you to do is prioritize the things that you want. So it's like, well, I want to make that payment more than I want to go out to eat. So therefore I fund that payment more than I fund going out to eat. Does that make sense? 
That makes sense. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it takes the pressure off of having to keep it there and not, you know, chipping away at it. You're kind of just building up towards it. It, yeah. it helps spread you, helps you not feel defeated each month because you see where it's all coming from and going and on a monthly basis versus one big goal, which I think is right. Is that what's going on? Yeah. Yeah, basically. And I, I do feel like breaking down big goals to smaller ones is the way to achieve goals. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like kind of micro stepping your way there helps you kind of like keep yourself on track in a sort of sense. Right. But I think to piggyback off of budget, which is what I was kind of talking about, what is the uh, the act of actually being your own accountant, uh, payroll person, your own uh, money person, your own you're the, the money guy. Go talk to the money guy. Chief financial officer, I think, is what the business nerds call it. And yeah. having having a system where you can invoice, like I, I do a lot of, I provide a service. I don't sell anything. So mm-hmm. it might be different for you when you get flow roll running, rolling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I provide a service. So to, to provide a service, I have to have a meeting first to see what a client wants. Mm-hmm. In that meeting, we define all the the uh, the goals of the project, the video project, the whatever they want to have done, done. And it's it turns into an invoice. I sent, uh, not an invoice, a proposal. So I write a proposal. I send them a proposal. It gets approved. They pay me a deposit. I do the job. I send them the finished product. They pay me the remainder of the proposal. Mm-hmm. And that, that's sent in the form of an invoice. And so coming up with a system to where you can write a proposal that looks like an invoice, so you're not doing double duty. You just change the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, you send them a proposal. They approve it. You send them an invoice, and they can start paying on that. And just having that kind of bankrolling system on your end yeah is the boring part yeah yeah no that's i mean that's absolutely true because essentially if you're not tracking and and would you say that that can be reduced to like influx versus what is that called efflux i don't know and it was reflux like, asset asset <laughs> reflux Um, would you say that that's like in a very simplistic sort of way, it's like you're tracking your input and you're tracking your output and uh, specifically where your input's coming from and where your output is going essentially. Yeah. I mean, that's the name of the game, right? Like that, that absolutely has to be locked down first. And that was, you know, one of the things that I just in a personal sort of, because I can't separate my personal finances from business finances currently because they're coming out of the same pocket like that's right, you know right. i don't i don't have any separate funding source so if i didn't understand my you know i understand my influx i make one check i make one check from one company that's it you know whatever right. so so right now my my singular like income source is supporting like a lot of things it's supporting my actual living expenses other stuff but then also the the foundations that i'm trying to build for personal business uh purposes so if I didn't understand, so the influx was really easy for me to understand, but if I didn't understand everywhere that my money was going, I wouldn't be able to kind of like fine tune and refine like, how do these actually serve me? Right. How does this actually serve flow roll? Am I spending a lot of money on a lot of dumb bullshit that, you know, I really should be spending on my business or spending on, you know, the kind of stuff that's going to accelerate my business. Right. And that's really what giving your, giving each of your dollars a job helps you do because now you are setting up priorities for yourself. Essentially, like I'm going to prioritize putting money into flow roll over, you know, going out to the bar essentially. 
because it's like, well, which one do I, you know, and, and it's to each their own, right? It doesn't have to be that way. Set your, um, set, set yourself up with like, just whatever you want. Like what, what, what is it that you want? And, you know, for me getting off of a, like a, uh, a, a paycheck from a company is essentially what I want to do because, uh, I, I forget who said it, but somebody said, uh, there are two great addictions in life, heroin and a monthly paycheck. It's like, it's, it's hard for me to get off that company dollar because it's like, I just have a, you know, repeating source of income, but right. eventually that's what I'm going to have to do if I want to support my own dreams. And therefore that is my number one priority over everything else. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I think when it comes to your business, have you sat down and figured out where you want your dollars to be spent on in your business? Yeah. So basically right now, so I've set myself because it's on a monthly sort of cadence. So you can set, you can like change the items in your budget whenever you want or something. But I set myself up for like, I scheduled it in my calendar uh, that six months from now, I'm going to reprioritize stuff because right now I'm putting zero dollars into like marketing, advertising, that kind of stuff because I don't need to, right? Like right, there's, right. there's no purpose for me to do so. So, um, therefore I'm putting most of the money into, uh, essentially formulation kind of stuff, um, into, I'm going to see well, like I'm establishing a fund for, so I'm doing a savings goal for my first outsourced batch of materials. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and then from there, uh, so so that's kind of where my headspace is currently located at. But I'm I'm setting myself up kind of with a calendar date, like locked in, to uh, to ensure that I'm resetting my priorities within my budgeted amount for uh, flow roll, like every every once in a while. So every you know, I'm starting with six months because the first time probably not much will change within the first six months. But then I'm setting it up to be every two to three months because. Uh, from there, I feel like things will accelerate a little bit. Right. So that's kind of, uh, um, one of the other, one of the other rules, where is it here? So, so basically this, uh, ah, yeah. So this book just kind of walks through, it's real short. You can hammer through this in an afternoon, uh, or, you know, whatever. But, uh, one of the other rules that I really kind of liked in this was, uh, age your money. Because essentially the more times you can, uh, like if you know you make X amount of dollars in a month uh, and therefore you only spend Y amount of dollars, so you have like this extra pocket of money rolling over month to month, it's like the longer you can age your money. So if I still have money, like part of my checking account is obviously because I didn't spend all of my money every month. Some of my money is from last year. You know, uh-huh. some of my money is from, you know, whatever. So the longer you can age your money, the more prepared you'll be for these, like, you know, like my car bumper. <laughs> Just, right. Like the these surprise expenses. expenses. Yeah. Right. Exactly. The, the, the more aged your money you're, you have, the, the more prepared you'll be for these, like, cause like, I forget what that expression is, but it's like, you know, life happens. Like you, you can't plan for all of this stuff. I, you don't, you know, so they even, the tool even has like a budgeted line item for uh car maintenance and stuff like that uh-huh. so you you can start budgeting some money over the long term like if you just commit 20 bucks to it every two weeks or something like that over the long term you're gonna have enough money for when that car problem happens now my problem is that obviously i only started using this budgeting tool last month <laughs> so i don't have anything specifically set aside for my bumper but 
you know, whatever. I'll, I'll take a hit and then uh, we'll, we'll plan for some car maintenance in the future. Right. I mean, uh, that's, that's, uh, I think what's tough about uh, coming at a budget from an entrepreneur point of view is you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from. Yeah. Like you're constantly living on the edge. You have no idea where things are coming from. Mm-hmm. So having a, a a budget kind of planned out maybe three months in advance, having that much saved away so you, you're not stressed out all the time about needing to bring in an income. But you you still need to bring in an income, obviously. Right, Yeah. And it probably also helps you make decisions in that kind of sense, because I'm sure there's probably a bunch of corporate gigs that you don't really want to do. Right. Right. So but, you know, it's like if you uh, can see that, like, oh, man, I had this target savings goal and I'm not quite where I need to be on it, then it helps you like plan your month and be like, all right, well, this month I'm going to take a couple more corporate gigs that I don't really want to do. But, you know, I'm going to I, I need to escalate that influx of money in order to hit my goal. You know, whereas opposed to, oh, I'm well, I'm on track right now, you know, whatever. I probably don't have to take as many corporate gigs, which means I can spend more time actually working on my individual, like my private business, all this stuff right. that moves the needle. So it also kind of helps you with your uh, decision making, I'd say. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that's that's gonna, that's the tough thing about uh, all, all this advice and everything for entrepreneurs and business stuff. It's kind of based off of the 40 hour work week. Yep. It's like, oh, you have a steady paycheck. Oh, you're already making a steady paycheck. You just right. have to do this. And it's not really applicable if you're, you know, making 300 bucks in July and you're making nine thousand dollars in December. You know, it's a it's a it's, it's an interesting uh w- thing to balance in your income and your budget that that's why i kind of avoid budgets because it's it's not consistent and it's kind of a a downer once you realize how uh how not often you get a source of income yeah if that makes sense like you you get big chunks but if you have something telling you hey every two weeks put in 10 bucks here it's like oh wait a second i haven't worked in five weeks what's going on i need to go figure this out yeah yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and that's kind of the there's going to be quite a push and pull when I get to that that place. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's that's why essentially it's so addictive to stay in just a regular, you know, a job where you get paid every two weeks for basically the same amount for doing this job, you know, whatever. It's it's very attractive because essentially it takes that worry or that concern off your plate. But what it also does, it's like, let's let's be completely honest. It's not out of malice. It's not out of, you know, that they don't, you know, uh, value you or something. But a company will pay you the bare minimum to do what you do, because any dollar above what you would be willing to accept is a dollar wasted. Uh huh. Right. So they're they're watching where they're spending their dollars. Exactly. Exactly. They have a budget, too, just like Mm -hmm. just like everybody else. Right. So they are going to pay you the bare minimum to do the task that you need to do. So essentially, that's why this kind of thing. It's like, sure, it's addictive to stay in a job, but like I'm no fool. I know that this isn't really how you create wealth. Like this isn't, and also it doesn't meet my, to be honest, it has less to do with money, but it just doesn't meet my dreams and my goals, right? Like my quote unquote rich life doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, having a mansion out in, uh, and by, by the way, I'm quoting a 
Ramit Sethi again this is from I, I teach you how to be rich because what he's saying is that like your rich life doesn't have to be everyone else's conception of a rich life which is you right. know a Bugatti Veyron and you know whatever a mansion in Beverly Hills but my rich life includes me working for myself like or me being the type of person who can establish like that level of freedom in my life and the only way you get there is through not being beholden to somebody else's time right now I rent right. out my time for money like uh-huh. I I get paid to give up eight hours of my time and make it, you know, my company's time. Right. Which is fine. It's it's a good place. Like I'm I get paid a decent amount and like, you know, it's a it, right now it's a favorable exchange. Very shortly it will no longer be a, a favorable exchange because no matter how much they pay me, they're my time needs to eventually be put into something else. And that's kind of what the, the problem's gonna be there. Yeah. I think that's another skill to kind of develop is that tough skin of Mm -hmm. dealing with the outside world and the outside world telling you uh, what to do with your time, how to, you know, value your time, you know, having another business tell you what your time is worth and being able to define it for yourself and be able to put a value on your time yourself and not have to explain it and not, you know, or constantly having to explain it and justify it to this outside world really can weigh down on you. You know, we all have uh, concerned parents or maybe we don't have concerned parents, but we have concerned uh, mentor type people who tell you that's not a real job. What are Mm -hmm. you doing that for? Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't understand what you're doing. That's not real. Uh, But it is real to you. It's something you can make happen. But it's right. You don't have to spend any of your time justifying it to other people. Right. And you know what? Actually, that brings us to another. Now, this is less of a tool or a toolkit, but I think that this might inform like this might be the idea that informs everything else, like moving forward. Right. Uh, The idea of like, what is your time worth? And you have to set a value for yourself, essentially. And it might be arbitrary at first. And you'll start to realize, like, just like with your budget, if you overspend in one category, then you realize like, oh, it turns out that was actually more important to me than I thought. So now I'm going to budget more of my, like I'm rearranging my priorities based on what I actually spend money on. Right. Similarly, you're going to set your your personal rate, you know, whatever. I think we've talked about this, but you set your personal rate at some value. You probably don't really know, but you're pretty soon going to discover, you know, it's going to flex up or it's going to flex down. So for instance, you know, I, uh, I can set my personal rate at $100 an hour. Now, that's not what I'm getting paid by my company at all. So don't <laughs> nobody get nobody get excited. That's not what's happening. But if I set my time at $100 an hour, currently I'm renting out my time for 8 hours a day for less than $100 an hour, which therefore means that the hours of the rest of my time for my 24 hours of which 8 are spent at work and not really eight are spent on sleep. I sure would like them to be because I've been, I haven't been getting, doing well with sleep, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, I'm already spending that time somewhere else. So that means that my rate really is higher than a hundred dollars an hour for all of the hours that I'm not at work, which means I am not doing anything, a single damn thing that doesn't move the needle for me greater than it would collecting that money. Do you see what I'm saying? And I used to be absolutely terrible at this. I used to take meetings with everyone. I used to, uh, any friend that would, you know, hit me up, I would just be, oh, yeah, sure, I'll meet you at the bar. Like, let's do whatever. Like, I used to be horrible about this. Mm -hmm. But it was only when I made this realization that, look, 
I already rent out some of my a considerable amount of my time at less than what my rate is, what my personal rate is. So therefore, I only have X amount of hours free and I'm only going to spend them on things that to me really move the needle. So it's like this podcast. Uh, it's uh, formulating stuff for flow roll. It's uh, going to the gym to make sure I'm keeping myself healthy, keeping myself, you know, whatever. It's um, training my dog. Yeah, for uh, for me, it was uh, learning where not to waste my time. Mm-hmm. So always mm-hmm. chasing the ungrateful client or a potential client that doesn't value me at the level that I put myself at. The people that are always trying to undercut you or, or be like, oh, that's too expensive. Can you come in at this budget? Or like, mm-hmm. oh, you want to spend, you want me to spend $2,000 on this video? Uh, my nephew can do it for free. It's like, yeah, well, yeah. you're not going to get the same thing. Yeah. And so your it's nephew's like, video isn't the same. Trust me. <laughs> right. So it's, it's, uh, it's trying to f- figure out how much of your energy you're willing to put towards that. Cause at the end of the day, they're never going to be happy and it's just not worth, mm-hmm. it's not worth chasing those, you know, the, the tiny, tiny clients to get your, your income coming in. Cause it's just, it's, it's just a time suck. And then your time is gone and then you're discouraged because this person's never going to be happy. So it makes you think you're not good at your job and why is anybody else going to hire me? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's uh, like a snowball effect when you deal with terrible people like that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in a sense that's going to be unavoidable, right. Or unavoidable. Like you're, you're going to, it's, it's right. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So, so how do you, in a kind of grand scheme, like given, given how important your time is and, and, and things like that, it's like, this is, I guess, a different kind of budget. Like how do you, cause you obviously set goals for yourself. We've done episodes on that and mm-hmm. you obviously kind of know a general direction, but it's like, how do you kind of make these micro level decisions in order to. Uh, ensure that the things that you're doing are serving you versus like, you know, serving some other purpose. It's uh, like for me, I I really separate business and creative work. So Mm -hmm. being video production work, everyone thinks it's like commercials and weddings and bat mitzvahs and quinceaneras. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Yeah. Like I don't do any of those. I don't do any weddings or bat mitzvahs or anything like that, but I do, (laughs) you know, some like personal video, but it's, it's easy to, be, what I do is I do have a day rate. I have a day rate and I have an hourly rate depending on what service I'm providing. Mm-hmm. So for a video production day, it's a, you know, it's a day rate for 10 hours. It's, you know, like uh, it used to be when I first started off, 300 bucks a day was my day rate for 10 hours. So I'm working 30 hours at, uh, or 10 hours at 30 bucks an hour, which is pretty good. And, you know, at 10 hours that you can charge overtime and double overtime, depending on how production goes. Like now I've added a couple hundred bucks to that because I feel Mm -hmm. like my time is valued more. More valuable, yeah. I have more experience and we'll get things done quicker and faster and more efficiently and better. So it's easy to go, I need to work eight days this month to meet my minimum or four Mm -hmm. days this Mm -hmm. month. Or like, oh, I worked 16 days this month. I don't have to work for the next three months. So yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's kind of like uh, how I break down my income coming in. And it's easy to separate the uh, corporate work. I'm going to call it corporate work because corporate sounds boring and uh, evil. 
uh, from the creative work that I want to do. Like that's the the business I want to develop is my creative business, creating, you know, films to potentially become a source of income, which is really hard to do, but it's still kind of the goal. Yeah. And so having that goal Grizzly Hill. makes it, I haven't really sat down and like, you can sit down and be, and be like, I need X amount of sales of a movie to break even on the movie. Right. And then everything after that is, you know, uh, the frosting, the sprinkles on top, the, uh, your, your potential income. So it's, it's, it's tough. Yeah, no, no, I get that. I get, well, and and that's exactly the reason why the, the paycheck is so addictive, right? Right. Because it's like, it, it, it liberates me from that stress, but it's like, the thing is, is that everything is a trade-off, right? Everything is a trade-off in life. And so by liberating yourself from that stress, what you also are potentially liberating yourself from is future freedom or future, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's, you have to be able to play long-term games with long-term people, which that phrase in and of itself might be a tool or a tool belt for entrepreneurs and stuff like that, because the, the short-term gain is attractive and it'll always be there. But I have made that like, like I'm going to be purely honest and vulnerable with any listener that might listen to this episode. I have made that trade off too many times in my life, mm-hmm. too many times. Um, I think a, a big part of that, you know, not to turn this into a, a therapy session or something like that, but a big part of that uh, was just out of panic because I got too used to listening to the, the you know, kind of negative voices that Chris was referring to earlier. That was, you know, in, in the form of my parents who are two lovely people. This isn't, you know, anything shitting on them essentially, but they only know the one path. They only right. know right. the one way. And so therefore they can't see the vision for something that like they have never experienced. And it would be foolish of me to assume that. But you know, I've always been a good boy who did his homework and did all, you know, that kind of stuff. So I wasn't used to not having a plan and not having, you know, all this kind of stuff laid out for me. Um, so you end up paying for it in one way or another. And I can, you know, maybe we'll do, I'll do an episode like more on, on touchy feely stuff regarding this, uh, more, maybe that'll be a good motivational episode for would be entrepreneurs, because it's like, I can tell you from personal experience that, you know, sometimes you like you will definitely have a good life all the same if you get on board with uh, someone else's plan for you or something, because you have to make it that way regardless. Like uh-huh. you will you will still have a good enough life where I'm sure you will meet plenty of nice people and you'll laugh a lot and all that kind of stuff like that is still good enough. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, and now we're really (laughs) getting into the touchy feely. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, my personal belief system tells me that this is our one shot at the ride. Like, this is the one thing we we get. Like, you you don't get another go around at this. So therefore, to me, the risk of, um, you know, trying to have my own business, the risk of trying to do my own thing, which is daunting, which is scary, is far outweighed by the risk of reaching the end of my life, looking back and thinking, man, I, I did good work for other people and all that kind of stuff, but I never really got to experience the life that I wanted. And uh, that that 
in in your budget then if you're thinking about your budget like that's your motivation right there that's the thing that will serve all and it'll be clear in your priorities it'll be clear in everything so similarly it's like man i'm sure chris feels some months that it's like man a regular especially especially right now in the pandemic right a regular paycheck would be fucking great yeah but it really would be it would be really nice yeah i bet like i i bet but at the same time you know it's like Chris could be a, a creative worker for, you know, Amex or something like that. I bet you could shoot the hell out of a credit card commercial. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, would that really be serving the 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 real thing that you want? The the ability to tell stories, the ability to, you know, uh, create these interesting characters and and drive this uh, the dynamics that you see on screen and stuff. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure I know a lot of people get starts in commercials and, you know, they, they build their own path that way, but that requires a move to yeah. California or New York. And that's just something sure. I don't want to do. So that's another yeah. part of the, uh, the negative outside influences that's only understood one way by, in a general sense, by the you know general population. Mm-hmm. So like, Oh, I want to make movies. Oh, why aren't you in Hollywood making movies? It's like, well, you don't understand the whole system behind it. You know? Oh, I only go see, it you know movies in the theaters why 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 isn't your movie playing in the theater it's like well it's a whole political process to get from get a film made in one and then two to have it actually played in theaters to at at that scale it's a whole process it's not just something anybody can do a lot of people try and just trying to get through that sea of everyone else trying and standing out and being your own person and developing your own ideas and products and stories that you want to tell versus hopping on somebody else's back and riding that train, which is right. That 40 hour week. Yeah. Should we? Okay. So this is a, here's a question for you. The four, the four hour work week, that book by Tim Ferriss Uh was written, you know, kind of a long time ago, not, not in the grand scheme of things. Right. But like now it's been written a long time ago. I remember reading it um, back in college, and I remember I had some positives and negatives about it. Like, I had some things that I thought were like, okay, these are good principles to extract, and then I had some stuff that it's like, okay, this is kind of bullshit, or this is irrelevant, or even just in some sense kind of ethically, maybe not what I liked. And I think you know what I'm tapping on specifically with the ethics part, perhaps. Possibly. Yeah. Um. Do you think it'd be helpful to to revisit that book and well this pull is out my thought on I feel like I I I think Tim Ferriss has done a lot of cool things and does a lot of interesting things and like experimenting on himself and all that interesting things that he does and he writes really thick right. books and it's just a bunch of right. really interesting like you know some there's some good things to pick at there I feel like Tim Ferriss's success happened at a time where he was like like at the right place at the right time Mm-hmm. Like yeah. uh, I, he was doing some sort of language translation or language school. Something that was yes. like, this is his first thing. Yep. And then, you know, everything else after that, it, it just kind of, he was like positioned in a place where all of his ideas could successfully happen one after another. And I feel like all of the ideas and techniques that he used are kind of not applicable anymore. Yeah. I feel like time is, it's because that was written what? Early 2000s. years ago. <laughs> yeah. Hundreds, hundreds of years ago. <laughs> Let's look it up. 
This is why we. This is why eventually we're gonna have a uh, a producer. So it's just you and me, and then we have somebody else who'll be like, "Oh yeah, uh, four hour work week was published in blah blah blah, two thousand seven. So okay. that's what fourteen years ago. No, it's older than my years car. <laughs> it's older than your car, and so." Uh, 14, a lot has happened in 14 years. And I yeah. feel like a, a lot of the things that he executed in that book probably happened in early 2000. Yes. Yes. So it's, it, it, you know, 20 years ago, these, I don't think these techniques really apply to this world anymore. Yeah. I, I do. Th- I do think that what's happened to the current state of our world is that we're all connected all the time and everyone Everyone's approach to business, I think, and advertising marketing is kind of doing this, uh, just spread, just like, just plop the whole net across the whole ocean and we'll catch a couple of them. But I I do feel like because we're all connected all the time, it's easier to uh, focus our energies towards a certain audience. It's easier to find our audience that would respect the business we're trying to provide. So like you on Reddit, Mm -hmm. not going on MMA threads, but going on jujitsu threads. Yeah. Yep. Right. So I, I, you know, and that's the thing you do on one site and it's just a keyword search Mm -hmm. versus before you would probably just send an advertisement to a wrestler magazine, American wrestler magazine (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and hope, and, you know, pray that some jujitsu people read that magazine as well as, uh, wrestlers and MMA fighters. If that yeah, exactly. No, I mean, that's that's definitely but, a solid uh, point. <laughs> we should develop our own four hour work week. We'll call it the three and a half hour work week. <laughs> oh, there you go. Suck on that, Tim Ferriss. <laughs> uh, the three hour and 45 minute work week and then uh, <laughs> and then attach a 15 minute uh, meditation CD. Yeah. To yeah. Go with it. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. And you can get all this for $9.99 a month. <laughs> for $9.99. People would eat that up. We should totally do that. But I, I, I do I think... Of, I kind of like the idea of modernizing four-hour work week because because those are essentially... Because I read it um, in college, so for perspective... Actually, no, I read it out of college, so that was already you know, 2014, 2015, give or take, and even then, so that being five, six years from now, uh, even then I didn't really feel like it was 100% applicable. I think I read it uh, when I first started uh, doing this, like 2013. I think that's when I read it. Yeah, yeah. And I like, uh, and I, when I was reading, I was thinking, this a lot of the stuff seems dated already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it doesn't seem like it's progressive or moving forward at all. And even some of the like some of the ideas behind it, I could see kind of working, but at the same time, it was kind of. Yeah. Well, I mean, really, it was it was kind of riding the first wave of the Internet of Things. You know what I mean? Right. In fact, like. And now that's just not enough like that, that kind of level of stuff. It's like everybody does that. Everybody <laughs> like it's not it's not something that, you know, really will differentiate yourself or your business. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll uh, I, I again have set my uh, did I tell you where I ended up landing on my goal for last year in terms of reading? Uh, I think you mentioned it briefly. Yeah, I fell what short. Was it? I fell oh, short. You- because of freaking Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah, because of goddamn Count of... Now, mind you, that ended up being my favorite book of the year. So it was time well spent. Okay. Um, but it also for, caused me to miss my goals. <laughs> <laughs> so I hit 46 out of 52. So six books short. Um, 
so you know this year i'm already two books i'm i'm ahead i'm already two books in in january although to be fair one of those books was you need a budget and this thing is short as all hell so uh you know maybe i'm stacking the deck in my favor but hey that's that should be fair given how uh how i sunk time into count of monte cristo um but uh I'd be down to do a revisit on four hour work week. That way we can construct our own kind of parables out of that because uh, I think you're right. I think there's some modifications to modernize it that we could do. And hey, I need to, you know, read more books this year anyway. So why yeah, not? I'll, I'll, I'll get it off the bookshelf and dust it off or I'll see if it's on Blinkist. So you just have to listen to it for 10 minutes. There you go. There you go. See, that's and that's uh, that's Chris uh, budgeting his time. He he knows where he he's got so much time in the day. He has to do some stuff for Cox Media or for whoever. He has to do some creative stuff. He has to work on the scripted podcast. And now he's got this much time for four hour work week. So <laughs> there you go. That's a time budget for you. <laughs> yep. It's on. Oh, it's 26 minutes long. I'm totally going to listen to it on the way home. Perfect. Did Perfect. I tell you I. Um, revisited some of the uh, Bond movies we, we uh, discussed. Oh, did you? And I want to uh, make some claims that I'm pretty sure I made on the other po- podcast. Okay. Wait, I'm uh, I watched Casino Royale and immediately watched Quantum of Solace. Okay. Uh, Quantum of Solace is definitely the taken three of all the Bond movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it has the worst theme song, I believe, out of all the Bond movies. That's the one with Alicia Keys and Jack White. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's like I'm torn because on the one hand, I. Yeah, it's uh, and the fact that it was sandwiched between um, the the Casino Royale one, which was Chris Cornell. May he rest in peace. May he um, rest in peace. Where that one really tells the story. Like the song is super appropriate for the movie because it's like, you know, my name, you know, Bond's name, you know, like whatever. But they're rebooting, they're resetting expectations and all that kind of stuff. And then in between that and Adele Skyfall, which like, damn, she blew it out of the water for that one. Like That's actively a great song. So it's like I feel like being in between both of those. It they they had to have done a better song and it kind of wasn't. Yeah, yeah. I, I get. I, it. I remember I remember trying to give it a chance because a friend of mine was like, "Oh yeah, that song's a, a banger. That's a great song." And I'm like, "Oh my god, really? Nope, that's interesting. Like, maybe I don't remember it the way you remember it, but like yeah. listening to it again, I was like, "Oh, it is kind of good right now. Like this part seems pretty good." And then the chorus comes and it's just cringe the entire time. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. watched Casino Royale and I also watched Goldeneye. Now I, th- I assume I remember Casino Royale is your favorite one. Yes. GoldenEye is my favorite one. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Casino Royale is a really good movie, but it's not fun enough for me. What? GoldenEye is just as good, but I was grinning the entire time I was watching GoldenEye. Like I was, I was like in it. I was, I've had nostalgia feelings with it. Yep. It was fun. It had all the, it hit all the marks for me. So that's, that's all I wanted to say. Yeah. I stand by my comments in the previous podcast on James Bond. Yeah, no, I, I mean, uh, I disagree with you. I mean, I agree with your statements about Goldeneye. Great movie. You know, I, I, I love that. Here's where I just in general disagree with you, and we're just going to have to live with this. I think it's just that it comes down to the fact that I think Daniel Craig is a better James Bond than Pierce Brosnan. I, I just is, ultimately but- and because that that informs kind of the the different styles and approaches of the movies, right? Like 
Daniel Craig, and and this might, we may even have to, uh, not that I'm insinuating anything about this, but we may have to accept that this might be a generational divide, which we, I think we said on the on the Bond podcast, essentially. But it's essentially that you were a certain age watching GoldenEye, and I was a certain age watching GoldenEye, and I was a certain age watching Casino Royale, and you were a certain age watching Casino Royale. Those ages just happen to be different. <laughs> so uh, Yeah, definitely. So I think it's that, you know, it's the same kind of like feelings about who Bond is and all that kind of stuff that we just kind of have a a difference of opinion on. I think Casino Royale is the best Bond movie. Um, It's it's uh, I tend to not like origin stories, which that one is like I'm so sick of superhero origin stories. No more. That's my 2021 what i'm saying for everyone no more origin stories damn it we don't want to watch it which is why i thought they did so well with uh did you watch um spider-man homecoming no uh which one was the one the one where the with the new guy the first one with the new guy i don't know what the hell you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) what new guy what are you talking okay. about? So there was um, there was Tobey Maguire, America's R- sweetheart, Tobey Maguire. <laughs> right, right. He, he did those first Spider-Men. Um, <laughs> then there was the middle guy, who is my least favorite. Which Andrew you would Garfield. think that like, to- oh, the Tobey Maguire ones are dog shit movies. Like, let's just accept no, that. No, the second one's the best. Out of all of them, the second one is the best one. <laughs> With Alfred Molina as Dr. Octopus. <sighs> Uh yeah maybe I don't know you don't like uh Willem Dafoe as uh as uh he Willem Dafoe I, I've got an, a comparison for you Willem Dafoe in Spider Man One was my z- uh Famke Janssen as Zenya on a top in Goldeneye Do you see what I'm saying Like just like way over the top just so much fun I enjoyed every fucking second they were on the screen You know what I mean Yeah. I, I do. I do think Willem Dafoe was great in the first Spider-Man movie. I just. I feel like the first Spider-Man movie was just uh, a, not a really good origin story, which is what you're complaining about. Oh, okay. Yeah. No. I because it's also like, mind you, I watched that movie came out in. I remember it had to have come out in 2001 because there was that whole thing about like they edited the Twin Towers, the 9/11 the Towers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. In 2001, I was young as fuck, so that's also why I probably thought it was a good movie. Is because it's not; it's garbage. The middle guy, Andrew Garfield, I think he absolutely sucks. I think he he is terrible for the role. I think a whole lot of what he does, like I don't know if it's his. I don't watch a lot of Andrew Garfield movies, so I don't know if this is his acting style or if this is just like, um, uh, I don't know if it's his like acting style or if it was just in this movie. But he does a whole lot of this like the Michael Sarah stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, how about, uh, 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 like, you know, and he thinks that that's called acting like a socially awkward person. And it's like, yeah, he's definitely an awkward person. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, that second Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie is pretty bad. It's just cringe yeah. and awkward the whole time. But I didn't. Yeah. Now, now they have the movies with the other guy, Tom Holland. Oh, thank you. Yeah, see, I don't know what his name is. Um, so there's with the other guy. And you know what they didn't do? A fucking origin story. And it was great. They go into the movie. You already know who Spider-Man is. Like, you get the idea. Here's He already has his powers. Like, let him roll through. And then they did things. They specifically made changes. They did something. Because Spider-Man has a secret identity to protect his family or whatever. But they gave him a best friend that uh, knows his identity but, like, won't give it away or something like that. 
That is called taking a creative license that actually drives a different kind of story and like pays off and it works. It's like it's not just like the comics. So, of course, the comic book nerds are all like, why the fuck? You know, he would never do this. But it in terms of the movie, it drove some really good stuff. It was, it was good material. I dug it. So um, my why was I talking about this? Oh, yeah. Origins. Man, I really, it's good that this is beyond the hour mark because we can just cut all this nonsense. Nope, it's going in because that first, first 10 minutes is getting cut. So, oh, damn it. So basically, <laughs> um, you know, I typically don't like origin stories. I'm sick of origin stories. But Casino Royale as a Bond, I think, is an origin story done right. It, like, contextualized the series. It reframed the expectations for the modern generation that, you know, Bond is a little gruffer, a little more like... Um, doesn't have a plan, doesn't have, you know, whatever, but he's just going to make it happen. He's he's doing it live. He's like Bill O'Reilly. He's doing it live. You know, it's like they really kind of set the expectations and set the bar. I think I think Casino Royale is the one to beat. Do we have a does do we know who the next Bond is? No, not yet. Hmm. Uh, I think we're waiting for no time to die when I think James Bond is going to die. Oh, my God. That's going to break but, my uh, heart. Yeah, but uh, I don't think the new Spider-Man movies are that good. I feel like they try to make young Spider-Man the new Iron Man, and it just feels like a cookie-cutter movie to me. But Michael Keaton was really good in it. Yeah, I like my... Wow. I, uh, man. You and I like, have why some is this real suit differences talking? Why is this suit talking? Yeah, that, that also kind of... That drove me crazy. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, four-hour work week. Let's break it down. Let's modernize it. We're going to modernize the four-hour work week, uh, so you have that to look forward to. Chris, anything to plug? Uh, nothing at the moment. Just check out the Instagram at Elephant Scout, and yeah, that's all I got. You? Uh, I have not much to plug. Find me at, at Atishmazish on Instagram, and then um, I you can follow along with me. I have just started and curating the Ramen Profitable reading list, the RPRL, where you can read all the books that... Um, you know, are mentioned in the podcast or are, you know, something that I think are really critical or drive value. Um, so far, I only have the two books on it that I've read through January. So uh, What Great Salespeople Do by Michael Bosworth and Ben Zolden. And uh, You Need a Budget by Jesse Meacham or Meckham. Not sure how to pronounce that. Um, but these are the books. I guess we'll put Four Hour Work Week on there since we're, we're talking. But uh, you can find that uh, eventually on Instagram. Right now, I've been uh, trying to design my own website because I wanted to get off the teat of... Uh, uh, what is that? Uh, Wix or uh, whatever. And also because I'm uh, in my free time, I'm taking on programming. So... I am designing my own website. Uh, I might end up actually just for speed. I might end up going with Squarespace or whatever. Squarespace? Yeah, Squarespace is quick and easy. Yeah, I might end up just doing a square pa- Squarespace quick and easy because while I am learning how to you know, design a web page, it's like, of course, my early websites are terrible. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so I may just do a Squarespace to get us rolling on the Ramen Profitable reading list or just a general landing site for Ramen Profitable, including the Ramen Profitable reading list. Um, that is soon to come and I will be posting links everywhere so you will know all about it. 